0: Our scripture lesson today is from Galatians 1, 13 through 24. Oh uh, oh, uh Start that sentence by looking at the camera. Oh, okay. Um, our scripture lesson today is from Galatians 1, 13 through 24. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism before... Oh, gosh. Okay, okay, okay. From the top, here we go, here we go. (laughs) Try not to smile, okay. Our scripture lesson today is from Galatians 1, 13 through 24. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me.
1: With the exception of Jesus, I think you could say that the Apostle Paul has had a larger impact than any other human being on the Christian faith. He authored much of the New Testament. He started missionary outposts in Asia Minor that eventually led Christianity all the way to Rome. Our deepest held theological convictions come from letters that Paul wrote Looking back on Paul's life, now we can see this depth of influence that he had even in his own day, but continues to have today. But really, this morning, we are looking for Paul's origins, because this is the last week of our sermon series that we called Origins, the Beginning of Faith, Faith Masters, and we're trying to glimpse the beginnings of Paul, what shaped him. What were his defining moments? Who was Paul before he was the main voice for our faith? I chose to focus on this passage from Galatians because it's not nearly as well known as the passage from Acts chapter 9, which narrates Paul's blinding light experience on the road to Damascus. But really, the reason I chose Galatians is because it's almost certainly from Paul's hand. This is the only one of our faith masters that we get to actually hear from the person themselves, how they experienced this defining moment in their life. Galatians is classic Paul. Almost no one doubts the authorship of this letter belongs to him. Galatians is actually a short read, and it's a holiday weekend. I would encourage you to take a few minutes uh, this weekend sometime and read through all six chapters in one sitting so you can really get a flavor for Paul's voice. If you start at the beginning of Galatians, it doesn't take long to get a sense that Paul is a bit of a hothead. Uh, by verse 6 of the first chapter, he is already rebuking his followers. He's sort of given them a good talking to. That's what my grandmother would say. And we started at verse 13. And by that point, Paul is obviously uh, trying to justify himself, to convince his readers that he has the authority to instruct them in the way of following Jesus. We get the feeling that he's arguing with an invisible. Uh, uh, enemy here that there there are other people that are arguing against Paul, and he has to make the case that he has the credibility to instruct these early Christians in the way of following after Jesus. So it is strange that in this letter, so early, he would actually admit his mistake. He tells us that he was one of the chief persecutors of the early Christian community there has to be something there, sort of a nugget, that will illuminate the rest of Paul's story for us. Paul's origins, which is narrated mostly in Philippians chapter 3, really would be better thought of as a pedigree. What we find out in Philippians is that Paul was born a Hebrew, he belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, and he was circumcised on the eighth day. What you need to know is that Paul was born a Jew, and his family was uh, Strong on those traditions and raised him in that uh, way of faith. He uses the same term in Philippians that he uses in Galatians. He tells us that he was zealous for God, zealous for God. He grew up studying the Torah, the instructions for following after God. He was raised a Pharisee, which meant he was raised to keep the rules better than anyone else, Paul will tell you. And if being right could justify you before God, Paul's going to tell us in several places in his letters that he would have been the first in line. But, there is that pesky little word, friends, but, he tells us in verse 15, but when God who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, Paul is telling us there that getting it right Is not what makes Paul credible. One of my favorite books is Reggie McNeil's A Work of the Heart, understanding how God shapes spiritual leaders. In his look at Paul's life, he names all the reasons that Paul checked the boxes. Paul was a a box checker in his early life. You could say that he was the one who strived to be at the front of the line, at the top of the class. Paul wanted to be the valedictorian. Paul was a devout Jew, which meant that he had a deep and and long expectation for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one God would save, uh, use to save Israel. And what Paul would want you to know is that he was looking for, he was expecting the Messiah more devoutly than anyone else. And then, on the road to Damascus, as is narrated in Acts chapter 9, he meets the one he's been waiting for And lo and behold, it is the very one that he and his colleagues before him had conspired to kill. Reggie's quote never left me in his book. He said, this placed Saul in a precarious position, lined up on the wrong side of God. I remember reading that for the first time, and this is the question I wrote in the margin of my copy of his book. So what happens when you realize you are lined up on the wrong side of God? Acts chapter 8 reports that Saul, that was his name at the time, Saul was there when Stephen was stoned approving of his murder, it says. The scripture goes on to report that Saul absolutely ravaged this early Christian community because of his zeal for the Lord. In the very next chapter, Saul is struck blind by a bright light and a loud voice. I love the way Bill illustrates what happens on the Damascus road for us because it's not from Paul's perspective. Paul is nowhere in the image, but you get this feeling of what that was like for everyone who was alongside Paul. The question that the scripture poses reverberates through this story in Acts chapter 9. Saul Saul, why do you persecute me? When he is finally able to get to his feet, he cannot see, the Scripture tells us, and he must be led by the hand to Damascus. Can you imagine how humiliating for someone like Paul, who always does all the right things, is at the top of the class, at the front of the line. Paul has to be led by the hand to Damascus. The scripture says, for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Then the Lord spoke to a man named Ananias, who comes to lay hands on Saul, offering the grace that would forever change him. His name is actually changed from Saul to Paul. His soul is won over by the power of forgiveness and repentance I want you to hear the rest of McNeil's quote. Remember, it begins, This placed Saul in a precarious position, lined up on the wrong side of God. No wonder Saul didn't eat or drink for three days. Friends, I've had three-day periods, maybe even a little longer, maybe even close to a week where I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I've had moments where what I saw in the mirror was just too much truth. I've had revelations about how God works in the world that absolutely brought me to my knees because I knew that as much as I had wanted God's favor, I had been lined up on the wrong side. What do you do, friends, when the truth breaks into your world and challenges what you have fought so hard to protect? Seriously, what do you do? I always thought that Saul's refusal to eat and drink came from being struck blind. And maybe it did. Maybe that was just such a shock to his system that he couldn't eat or drink for three days. But after I read McNeil's quote, I thought, maybe not. Maybe he couldn't eat or drink because his whole world was being rearranged and it shook him to his very core. In those seasons of my life, I've been grateful for the people that God sends like Ananias, people who can restore my sight, not to the way I used to see, but to the way that I must see now in order to repent from my mistakes. Isn't it interesting that one of the biggest marks of credibility for Paul is that he used to be a persecutor of Jesus' followers? By the end of the text that Wyatt read for us, what we learn is that Paul goes to Jerusalem three years after his conversion, and it's the depth of his change. He doesn't even meet with the people. It's just because they've, they've heard about how deeply he had been changed, and that's what convinced the other followers that he was legit. In other words, God used even Paul's mistake. So I wonder where the encounter with today's text from Galatians leaves you. It leaves me in an uncomfortable place. It leaves me with the wariness I feel when I insist that I'm right. When I go back over all the stories I know so well, and I use them as evidence that we shouldn't change, we shouldn't give in. The text leaves me convicted, admonishing me to make room that maybe, just maybe, God could do something new. The text reminds me that people still line up on the wrong side of God, fully intending and believing that they are right. And so, in this text, I find the encouragement to mellow a little bit, maybe be a little less strident, To be on guard against areas of zealousness in my own life. And to listen carefully to the stories of others. Who knows? God might be doing a new thing. And I don't want to miss it. I'm going to leave you this morning with Bill's final illustration of Paul. He's engaged in his profession of tent making with Achilla and Priscilla. Paul's ministry we read about in, in the book of Acts engaged this couple so powerfully that eventually they would become martyrs for the faith. So, who was this man, Paul, who would lead and and engage this couple so powerfully that they would be willing to die for their faith? Maybe it was the person who emerged through that painful three-day stretch, a person who was Willing to allow his world to be rearranged. And part of what we know from Paul's writings is that he saw his biggest mistake of persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He saw that as the reason why God's grace was extended to him so fully. His biggest mistake turned into a reminder that if God can do it for him, just imagine what God could do for you. Because Paul was willing to allow his world to be rearranged, God used him to rearrange the world. Amen.